Hi, I'm your host, Brittany Spence, and this is In the Face of Illness. We are a podcast committed to cultivating a greater understanding of the many resources available for families facing childhood illness, because we believe this is a vital topic of conversation, not only for families in the throes of the fight, but for everyone. Ultimately, we are here to offer hope in the face of illness. Dana and Bill Deffenbaugh are lifelong Mississippians who in 2008 were pursuing their careers in pharmaceutical sales and finance, and they were anxiously awaiting the birth of their first daughter now. Little did they know that their lives were about to quickly change forever. Following an otherwise healthy pregnancy, now was born at just 24 weeks due to a placental abruption. This began their journey through cerebral palsy, epilepsy, a feeding tube, and numerous other health issues that led them to Labonner, which they still lovingly refer to as their Memphis home. Dana shares their story of the highs and lows of a special needs child and the grief process following Niall's death in 2013. Today, they're thankful for each lesson learned and know that it's those lessons guiding them as they enjoy raising their precious daughter, Manel. We're so excited to have Dana on with us today. Um, I've known Dana a long time and a dear friend of mine, and so we're just excited to have you on. Thanks for joining with us. Thank you for having me. Um, So let's just start out a little bit about your medical journey with now. So in the bio, we talked a little bit about 2008 and not expecting it and it being a a healthy pregnancy. So kind Mm -hmm. of go from there. So that day, the day I had the placental abruption, I was just... uh, I was in the field working um, and everything and just knew something wasn't right. It was my first pregnancy, but still just knew something wasn't right. Um, Anyway, that that led to us getting to the hospital and everything. Initially, it was they were going to monitor me and thought everything was going to be okay. About 1 o'clock that morning, they came in and said they needed to do a stress test. with the stress test, they couldn't get her to move. Um, I was initially having many contractions, uh, and they got those to stop. Anyway, stress test, couldn't get any response from her at all, um, and said that they needed to do an emergency C-section. So uh, I just remember everything kind of flashing before me. Uh, of course, Bill had to stay in the room. They took me for the section. I can remember everything going on the doctor saying the anesthesiologist is running through the parking lot when he asks you if you're allergic I'm going to start to cut you may feel the first little bit um all of that was very very traumatic Uh, I remember waking up afterwards and them talking about transporting her to a NICU I remember them bringing her in and letting me lay my hands on her because they never thought she would survive. She was blue. She, they had to resuscitate her when she was born. Um, I remember them leaving, everybody crying and me just kind of being in shock. And then Bill coming in later and me telling him, go with Niall. I don't want you here with me. I'll be fine. Just go with her. Please don't let her be alone. And so he went with her. Uh, I was in the hospital the next day. They discharged me early, knowing I would go straight to that hospital um, 
to be with her. Just they were just trying to get me there to see her. Mm-hmm. I found out later, uh, the social worker that's a dear friend at that hospital, um, that the neonatologist told her, you need to prepare dad that baby is going to die and mama is probably going to die too. Wow. So very, very, very traumatic mm-hmm. birth from everything beforehand. We were, we were set the day I had her, we were set to leave in six days going out of the country. Um, a trip I had one with work. Wow. So it was, it was just an absolute miracle that it happened when it did because had we been out of the country, they said for sure we both would have died. Wow. So you delivered at one hospital and then she was transported to just a smaller hospital with a NICU or was she transported straight to Lebonner? She, so I had her in North Mississippi and she was transported, uh, the hospital I had her at did not have a NICU. Okay. And she was transported to a different hospital, a different hospital okay, with it. a NICU and everything. Okay. okay. And then, um, so with the placental abruption that caused her the stress that, or, or did that cause her to tell me about that? Like, what do they think of? why she was without oxygen, why she kind of had stopped moving. Was that all to do with the placental abruption, everything going on? From my understanding, it was the placental abruption. And then they say there's like 72 hours after the birth. It's like a honeymoon period where um, initially when she was born, there was not a brain bleed. Mm. But within that 72-hour period, I believe it was at 48 hours, they told us she had grade 4 bilateral brain bleeds, which are the worst. Mm -hmm. Um, And that's why they were thinking no survival. Wow. Okay. So they obviously stitch you up, send you back to the room. By that point, Nal's already left, Mm -hmm. and you really are like, I don't know if I'll even get to see her again Mm -hmm. wow so bill goes on you stay back and then obviously he's kind of keeping you in the loop of how she's doing that first 24 hours you get to go see her and then kind of lead me through i know y'all spent a long time in the NICU did you spend it Mm -hmm. all in that one hospital did you move to a different hospital tell me kind of about that so the first phase of before i got there i I had to have I think two units of blood because I just, and so a lot of that's foggy mm-hmm. for me. I can remember bits and pieces of it. I remember when they discharged me and it was about 45 minutes to an hour to the hospital where Nyla was just thinking, well, this isn't that big of a deal. Mm-hmm. I had, I remember like it was yesterday reading the night before I had the placental abruption and what to expect when you're expecting. Yeah. That if a baby were born at 24 weeks, it could survive in the NICU. And me thinking, I just read that last night. She's going to be fine. Wow. Yeah. Um, And so Bill kept saying, I can remember this too, him saying NICU, NICU, and me thinking, what is he talking about? We had just never had any experience with anything but healthy babies and healthy births and everything. So, um. When I initially got to the hospital, they loaded me in the wheelchair, and, and actually I stayed 
in the hospital there at that hospital the first night because still just they weren't comfortable with me mm. going and and all of this happened uh, two hours from our home okay wow so it wasn't like we had a place to go and stay I remember going in and seeing her and just really being traumatized by that because her little wrists were so blue mm. of course she was intubated um just tiny tiny how much did she weigh one pound seven ounces wow goodness gracious it was um i think she was either 10 or 14 days before we could ever touch her mm. uh not even lay our finger on her uh the first she always had a scar on her forearm from where the first blood pressure cuff tore her skin. She wow. was that tiny. Goodness. Uh, but absolutely perfect. Mm -hmm. Like her eyelashes were perfect. Her fingernails were perfect. Every little detail was just perfect. She was just tiny. Mm -hmm. um, we were there in that NICU 118 days. Wow. We were transported twice to Le Bonheur. Um, This was... In 08, so it was still the old hospital. Mm -hmm. um, so limited beds and space and everything there. But we were transported um, there the first time within the first couple of weeks for a PDA ligation. Okay. So um, they just closed the little flap in her heart. I, I think we might have been there, I don't know, a couple of days transported back okay. to Chiefalo. Um. Everything was, was good. Uh, I remember at that hospital, and it was like that at Le Bonheur, you couldn't stay. Mm -hmm. There weren't individual rooms. So we would go and we would visit. Um, we were blessed enough to have a family that their children knew us, and they had a little guest house out back. Oh, so wow. we stayed. In Tupelo. In Tupelo. Okay. We um, were gift. able to stay at about a mile from the hospital. Wow, okay. And so that was our day. Um, Bill owned a family business. His dad stepped in and took over, and going to the NICU every day and staying close to Niall became both of our full-time jobs. Mm -hmm. um, and just from the get-go, reading and trying to educate ourselves on what to do, so we played classical music in our little incubator and everything we had read. That would help. We went and read to her various times a day. Um, I, I pumped mm -hmm. to be able to get breast milk in her. I can't remember how it was after her PDA ligation, but um, she had a whiteout in her lungs, and they told us that uh, zero chance of survival. She was going to die. Wow. And they called both of our parents in, told us that um, we need to let her go. Mm. They lined up the, uh, where they come in and take pictures. Oh, yeah, the now I lay me to sleep. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Lined that up. We went through how do you want that to look? Do y'all want to hold her while she passes? Do you want to mm -hmm. let her pass and then we'll clean her up, bring you in? So we... Early on, we walked that whole journey of what we wanted her end of life to look like. Mm -hmm. um, anyway, we, you know, we're, we're Christians. We prayed about it and did not think that was, we didn't, we weren't ready to let her go. Yeah. 
and we were praying for a miracle. We believed that that was going to happen, and three days later, her lungs were clear. Wow. So we had more time, and that was kind of like you talked about with Forrest. Mm -hmm. At 14 days, that was such a huge milestone mm -hmm. for you. Every day was a milestone for us. Mm -hmm. uh, we had a dry erase board that we had happy birthday novel on it and we changed the date every day because mm. every day was a gift yeah um I, I think probably around two and a half months we were transported back to La Bonner. she had hydrocephalus and okay. they put in a VP shunt uh and they did a surgery on her eyes okay I don't even remember the exact surgery yeah, yeah. um strabismus she okay. had that okay uh and <laughs> You probably, well, you had David to help mm -hmm. explain things to you, but, but Bill and I were going in just totally blind, didn't know anything. Yeah. And I was in pharmaceuticals, but I had absolutely yeah. no knowledge of anything with babies. Um, so somebody along the way sent me a book called Preemies. And so I was reading the terminology of everything, just trying to understand what was going on. Uh, Anyway, we were there 118 days, and then we were discharged uh, back to our home. And tell me about that. I mean, that feeling. I mean, it had to be such a glorious, we made it through this, but then petrified mm -hmm. that you're taking home this still tiny, oh, you can yeah. only imagine, tiny baby who obviously has a lot of needs. So tell, mm -hmm. me, tell me about kind of that feeling and what that was like. Initially, it was, we were excited. Mm -hmm. We're going to get to go sleep in our bed. We had left her um, and gone back to our house one time for less than 12 hours wow. from the day that I had her. Mm -hmm. um, even when we came to Memphis and had the stays, a friend gave us their house to stay in. And so we were always next to her. So the excitement of going home, because she was 24 weeks, we didn't have a nursery ready, didn't have anything ready. So my family had gone and bought everything, fixed the nursery the way I wanted, got in the crib, had everything ready. So it was kind of almost like Christmas. We were coming home yeah. and we were going to start our new life. And our baby was going to be the one that was going to defy all odds. Mm -hmm. um, so excitement. But... She came home with an apnea monitor, so there were always beeps. Mm -hmm. She came home on oxygen, so that was a whole new learning curve for us with having the oxygen tanks, timing it. Did Would this oxygen tank get us two hours to the house? Switching her to the concentrator. What does a con an oxygen concentrator look like? And mm -hmm. it, was, it was excitement, but it was scary, too. Mm-hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that you're now fully in charge. There's nobody watching over her. Mm -hmm. um, okay, so she comes home, 118 mm -hmm. days, mm -hmm. and kind of lead me through there. Like, what are, you know, what are some of your highs mm -hmm. and what are some of your lows? What are some of the things that you were just, you know, were just such, bring you, brought you, not that everything about her life didn't bring you joy, but mm -hmm. meaning, just the things were like, okay, we're doing this, we're doing great. And then obviously some things that she really struggled with and had a hard time with as well. So before we left the NICU, I can remember us working with her to take a bottle. Mm -hmm. She could suck and she could swallow. And so that was a huge thing. She went home being able to suck and swallow. So just things that 
most people take for granted when they go home with a baby were just huge accomplishments mm-hmm. for her. Our baby could go home taking a bottle because at that time um, I stopped producing milk, so mm-hmm. she was on formula. Um, we went home and we were thinking, okay, she can suck and swallow. She burps. She's, you know, she's thriving. I remember when she smiled the first time. Mm-hmm. They told us she would never smile. And um, just so many little milestones that we were told would never happen that she started achieving. I remember the first day we started with um, cereal and baby foods and she was able to swallow and um, it, I, I really thought, both of us really thought, okay, she is going to defy the odds. It's going to be a long, hard roll road, but she's going to be the one that everybody goes, oh yeah, mm-hmm. she's the miracle. She did everything that everybody said she wouldn't do. Mm-hmm. We were having to go back and forth to Tupelo for follow-up clinics. Um, and I can't say enough good things about the Tupelo NICU. They... They were there with us every step of the way, uh, just like LaVonna was for us. Um, if she woke up at 2 o'clock in the morning and I was scared and wasn't sure, I would call. I'd call the NICU and say, hey, this is Dana. This is what's going on. And they were like, it's okay. That's normal. It's okay. Mm-hmm. Or if the apnea monitor was going off, they were there. I mean, those kinds of things were just kind of handled. Mm-hmm. So our very first time of going back for a NICU follow-up and now when I was, we were going by ourselves. My college roommate lived at Pickwick and we were going to take a girl's trip mm. and we we're going to go stay with her and her husband. And, um, NICU follow-up went great. I think we did another checkup. Um, and then we went to her house to stay in the middle of the night and I started screaming. And they had told me that I needed to make sure I knew her head, like the back of my hand. So if there were any pressure changes, mm. I would know what it felt like. Okay. Because um, at this time, her right. her little skull wasn't completely grown together. Because um, she's got this shunt. She's got a, she's uh-huh. got the BP shunt. Right. Okay. She's screaming. I'll never forget that scream. It was I had never heard a child scream like that. And, um, she, she vomited a couple of times. And so in my head, okay, this is a shunt malfunction. And we raced to Laboner. I remember them initially coming in telling me, no, we don't think it's a shunt malfunction. And that was like my first time for that mama bear Mm -hmm. instinct to go. Yes, it is. Mm Y'all told me to know what her head feels like. And I'm telling you, there's a little bit of pressure there. Yeah. And, it was. Wow. Um, and that was our that was our first real s- trip to the emergency room, mm-hmm. being admitted and having a, a VP shunt revision. Okay. I can remember, uh, I guess that was my first time of really having what I can look back now and go, I should have been taking better care of myself mm-hmm. as a mom. Mm-hmm. Everyone had left the room. My, my mom and um, Bill and them, he had walked walked his mom down to the car and our family was leaving. Everything was fine. I was in the rocking chair and uh, her IV came out of her head. I didn't know it at the time, but I just looked down and there was blood dripping everywhere. Mm-hmm. And I went, I just went into shock and I, 
from what I've been told now, PTSD, um, just the trauma of everything. Later realized that that's the nurses came in and it was just the IV had come loose and there was blood, but it was just, uh, that was the first time mm -hmm. that something like that had happened. As a mama, you know, you become so focused on taking care of your child yeah, that you're not thinking about yourself. You're yeah. in survival mode yeah. and yeah. you're without sleep. And we had lots of trips mm -hmm. to the ER over the next five and a half years of Nyla's life that... And for y'all, a trip to the ER was two hours. Yeah, yeah. It's not. It's mm -hmm. not just ten minutes, fifteen minutes. It was. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And the thing about it that I didn't know was that in our little small town rural area, I don't know how it is today, but at this time, an ambulance would take you forty-five minutes or to the closest hospital that could care for your child. Mm -hmm. We were two hours from Le from Lebanon. There was not another hospital mm -hmm. that was capable of caring for her so it would mean transporting to one hospital and then having to be airlifted or whatever uh we were wasting time yeah and with a shunt malfunction unless it was life or death at the moment we knew it was faster for us to get in the car so bill and i became very comfortable with pulse ox and oxygen and suction and all that and so we would load up in the car and we would book it to Memphis and monitor an oxygen and knew we had talked to enough of our providers to know where the hospitals were where their emergency routes were along the way so if she stopped breathing or if her oxygen dropped too low we would know okay this is the closest one whip in they'll get her the rest of the way by ambulance yeah so every time we raced to the hospital, it was, yeah. it was traumatic. It was stressful. Yeah. Because we really felt like we were the ones in charge of yeah. Yeah. getting her there. Yeah. Well, and you were. Mm -hmm. You were the ones. So would yeah. you just kind of always have a, like, it's time, go. Like, bags packed, things packed, ready to jump in the car and go. I didn't initially. Oh, of course, that first year she was a baby, so I always had her diaper bag yeah. packed. Um, but yeah, after that first few times year, I yeah. realized okay, we at least need at that time. You know, it was the old hospital. We needed flip flops for both of us. Yeah, to, to take still do. <laughs> yeah, take take a shower somewhere uh -huh. on the hallway. Um, we needed lounge clothes. We needed you know just small yeah. things. Yeah. Um, I guess the first year, Nowell started with seizures and everything. We had an extended stay at Lebanon, and uh, we got rescue meds. So I just started traveling with a bag in my car with those kinds of toiletries yeah. and things for us. Always had rescue meds with her. And then I read somewhere along the way to keep her medical records yeah. with me. So I had a bag that stayed with us also that had everything that had happened. Everything. everything that, yeah, her whole All list. of her NICU notes, yeah. everything. I honestly, I still have it to this day sitting in my office because yeah. I can't go through it. Yeah, just too hard. Mm -hmm. So, so through, so tell me kind of, um, we mentioned in the bio her you know, diagnosis and kind of underlying medical issues, what were probably some of her, her biggest struggles? Would you say it was 
the brain bleeds that then led to kind of the seizures and the shunt needed and that kind of stuff? Do you feel like it was, and again, I mean, when people ask me this, you know, we always talk about too, it's hard to say because, you know, if it wasn't for the group B-strap for Forrest, we wouldn't have needed ECMO, which in turn, you know, we probably wouldn't have gotten a, a, a grade three head bleed, which in turn, you know, we wouldn't have, that it was one thing after another. So to mm-hmm. say, I mean, I've even said, I don't know exactly what is on Forrest's death certificate um, because I'm like, do you go all the way back to what started the whole roller coaster? Um, mm-hmm. Or do you go to what in the end really kind of failed? And that's why I've just one of those things not ever looked at, don't really want to look at. Um, so I know when I say that, mm-hmm. I, I understand that there were, you know, the placenta abruption, the 24-weeker, all those things then led to so many of the other things. But what would you say ended up kind of being her struggles that caused y'all to have to go to the hospital, you know, caused some of those really long stays in the hospital? What were some of those? So, yes, I've been through that too. Mm -hmm. Questioning kind of, well, what was the kind of final straw? Mm -hmm. Um, I start to think about it, and then I go, okay, I can't I can't dig too much into yeah, that. Um, yeah. But, honestly, the abruption, the, um, the grade four bleeds led to Niall being, um, she had severe cerebral palsy. Mm-hmm. So she was wheelchair-bound, nonverbal. But as a result of the brain bleeds, she had a very, very thin brain stem. Okay. Which controlled respiration and everything. She had... Um, just remnants of her cerebellum. Okay. So we were always doing lots of, I was doing lots of research on the different parts of the brain, and it just fascinated me. She always struggled with breathing. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, Which really still all pointed back to the brain. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yep. Okay. Yep. So really the injuries to the brain really caused, which I mean, I can say mm-hmm. very similar to Forrest. I mean, mm-hmm. How much the brain controls so many of the other aspects that we struggled with, y'all struggled with. So really those initial brain injuries that she had caused so many of her other. It did, but I can I can very plainly remember um, a pulmonology follow-up visit. I think she was um, three. Yeah, she was three or maybe a little bit over three. And the pulmonologist telling me, okay. We can say the respiratory stuff is behind us. Really? Wow. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, she was doing great. Yeah. And something happened with, I think, her shunt, the best I can remember. I can remember us racing to the ER, her seizures. Mm-hmm. And in my mind, I just, I wasn't educated enough on seizures, different types of seizures. I didn't, in my mind, it was, everything was grandma seizure. Yeah. Um, so anyway, one of the trips we were, we were there, we had been struggling with seizures. She had a 20 minute seizure in the ED that they could not get in under control. And that ultimately led to, she lost her ability to suck and swallow Okay, with okay. that particular seizure. And that led to the GT being placed. And it was just kind of a roller coaster yeah. those last two years after that. Okay. We kind of went back on, um, back and forth on, because we always thought there was hope. There was always hope. Yeah. 
but we went back and forth on, okay, well, if it's a lung issue, you can, we have lung transplant. Mm-hmm. Is she a candidate for that? Well, you know, will this help? Will that help? Um, but in the end, her, her body outgrew her brain's ability to function and okay. to carry it. So there was, we pursued every avenue yeah. to maintain our life, but yeah, it was her time. Can. It was her time. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you and I have a long history and, you know, I, I say often that, I mean, obviously if it wasn't for Forrest and now we would have never met. Um, and, um, and I'm so thankful for the two of them for introducing us, but at the same time, man, it sure does suck and it sure is hard. And, um, and to, but it truly was such a, and, and I use y'all, we actually had, um, Le Bonner's, um, music therapist on the podcast. It'll be really soon. And, um, it was really fun to talk to her about the ability of music. And I brought up now, I mean, mm-hmm. now I will never forget y'all putting your phone next, either mm-hmm. next to her in the, her wheelchair or next to her on her bed and how much joy that mm-hmm. brought her. And mm-hmm. even her being, you know, non-verbal, non-mobile, like mm-hmm. you knew that girl was happy and you knew when that girl was not happy. I yes. mean, she, she didn't shy from her emotions or her feelings. And, um, and so I was telling the music therapist Taylor about just the beauty of that. How much, Mm -hmm. how much music brought comfort to me when Forrest was in the hospital, you know, as a newborn to two months and how much it brought calmness and that kind of stuff. But I then was talking about, you know, the world that knows nothing about now or children like now would maybe say, well, do they even, do they even experience or hear or whatever? Man, she did. Mm-hmm. I mean, she experienced so much of that. And so because of that, we've really said to, to the music therapist, like, hey, how can we help you in mm-hmm. that regard? Can we get you more speakers? Can we get you more things so families can play music through their phone into a speaker and so children can hear that? Because that, um, that is always something that I loved watching now as she listened to her music. Thank you. Um, it was just always such <laughs> a beautiful, you. a beautiful thing. Um, well, I know Tupelo and Labonner had such an impact on y'all. And part of that was y'all really let people in to see your lives and now mm-hmm. people that interacted with y'all knew her. You didn't, you didn't hold her up and, and be like, well, she can't ever go out and she can never do anything because what if she gets sick or what if something happens or, you know, I want to keep her safe. And in this bubble, we knew her because mm-hmm. she was, you know, a part of, of everybody's life, your family, your friends, the hospital. I mean, the hospital, you know, I know they're not supposed to have favorites, but man, she was one of their <laughs> favorites for sure. And so... You know, talk to me about that, just even the decisions of letting her, you know, kind of be active, be, do things, go out, or or even in the hospital, letting people in, letting people see your struggles, but also your joy. I mean, as someone who, you know, came in to meet y'all later on, I didn't know y'all um, from the start, you know, I knew right away when I saw y'all that there was deep joy there that, 
there was definitely that her life was hard and that her day-to-day care was more than the average baby or child's because of what she needed and required, how much she depended on y'all. But there was such deep joy in you being her mom and Bill being her dad. And it was very evident, you know, even in the hospital when she was so sick. So tell me just about that, y'all's decision to kind of let people know her and love her besides just you two. Thank you. Yeah, she brought she brought a ton of joy. So I think it really started with the day we found out we were expecting her. Um, we had struggled with infertility for a couple of years. And the day we found out we were pregnant with her, I was a typical mama. I was planning her life. I was picturing her wedding. I was, you know, everything to me was just so vivid. The day she was born, it didn't stop. Mm-hmm. And um, I was determined. I think we're probably a lot alike in that when somebody tells us we can't, we're going to try even harder. Uh, and so that was always Niall's life for me. We were going to defy the odds. She was going to live. Mm-hmm. She was going to live and thrive and, and be different than what we were told. Um, and while she didn't make it, I still believe she was. Oh, yeah. She definitely was. Uh, she, like you talked about her responding to the music, yes, she was nonverbal, but you could ask her questions in the yes or no form, which we did, and she would respond. She would smile or kick her little legs, uh-huh. or she would wrinkle her forehead if it was a no, and you knew uh-huh. where you stood with her. <laughs> yeah. um, it was a yes or no. So that's what I try to tell so many people that haven't been around special needs kids is to the world she may not have been perfect Mm -hmm. but to us she was yeah yeah um we wanted to show her off yeah we wanted everybody to know what we knew Mm -hmm. I think the decision to take her to do we saw what the music could do Mm -hmm. even from the first couple of days of her life we really attributed her growth and her doing things that we were told she wouldn't to the music that was being played to the books that we were reading all day every day and stuff so the more we could expose her to just like we do now with our healthy child the more things we could expose her to the the more growth she would have Mm -hmm. um the better the more she would improve Bill and I both love people. Mm -hmm. Um, We love people, and um, now we loved people. That brought her joy Mm -hmm. to hear different voices and to, you could always tell she would be really quiet and really still when she was listening to what other people were talking about. Uh So it brought her joy to listen to other kids and to adults talking or whatever it may be. we were determined that we weren't we weren't embarrassed by her. I know I've I've talked to families that have said, Well, our child was in a wheelchair and so we thought it was best to keep him home. No, that wasn't good enough for us. Mm-hmm. We 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 went to Ole Miss. I I feel and I did and so in my mind that day, I conceived her. She was going to Ole Miss football games. <laughs> so we went to an Ole Miss football game. We took her to basketball games. We took her to baseball games. Um, 
my niece and nephews, our niece and nephews were small schools. They were involved in little peewee sports and dance recitals. We took her to all that. We wanted her to hear those noises and be be exposed to all that. But then we also wanted to educate people on, yes, she was nonverbal. And yes, she was in a wheelchair. She was still a kid just like anybody else. Mm -hmm. And she still, she comprehended things and she loved and it bothers me when people see special needs kids and they think oh well they don't speak so I'm Mm -hmm. not going to talk to them Mm -hmm. or "Ooh, what's wrong with that child it it really bothers me so part of that exposing her and taking her to do things is not only for her but it was to educate other people too that they're still kids yeah they still have the same emotions you and I have and rather than shy away from it be drawn to it yeah um and I think it was the same thing in the hospital we we were so incredibly blessed by the staff um at Tupelo but also long term at Le Bonner Mm -hmm. um they walked with us through all of it they they knew when we needed things when we didn't even know we needed things um so we wanted them to see the that, hey, yes, love on these families because you're seeing us at our darkest days. But, hey, when we're not here, it's the greatest of days. Mm-hmm. And we're we're celebrating her life just like we would if she was a healthy child. Mm-hmm. Um, I have a friend that lost a child within the last uh, year and a half. And we talk about this often, how... We're so thankful for Labonner that even though our girls were special needs, Labonner never treated them like they were special needs. They saw the value in their life mm-hmm. and they fought for their life, even though it wasn't a typical life. Mm-hmm. What the world says is typical. Right. Um, so I don't know. It was just it was just important for us to let people in. Yeah. To see the, both the good and the bad. Yeah. Y'all really did. I mean, and I can truly say, you know, in all the years of doing this inventory, I mean, y'all, y'all made such a huge impact on so many people's lives. Just with the way you cared for her, the way that you loved on her, the way you treated her, the way that she was a part of everything. I mean, it really, it was, it, it was really unbelievable. I mean, and, and you know, she was an inspiration because of everything she defied and everything she went through and everything that she, but y'all were because of what you were, you allowed her to do and what she was able to be a part of versus, you know, just saying, well, she's only going to be in the home all the time because then that'll keep her safe and healthy and hopefully nothing will happen. I mean, that's Mm -hmm. just not the world, not the way the world is. Um, Healthy child or unhealthy child, we never know what, what is going to be, what tomorrow is going to be. So right. it really was um, so beautiful. So let's fast forward a little bit. So um, at around the age of four, mm-hmm. she has, um, I think you talked, you touched on a little bit. She had a, a grand mal, kind of 20-minute seizure, really affects her ability to suck and swallow, eat, all those things. So get a G-tube. Y'all are really faced with some hard decisions. Y'all are having to make some difficult decisions on how you will move forward. 
Um, so tell me just a little bit about what that was like, y'all having to face some things that y'all had really hoped you wouldn't have to face. Okay. Um, so after that seizure, she had the, the GT place. That was really hard. I thought that was kind of the end. Um, but then again, hope. We went home, we managed the GT, but like you were talking about, the really hard stay, um, she got pneumonia. We were in the hospital, um, I think three months at that time when she was four. Uh, I remember you and David coming in and us talking and y'all were very vulnerable and honest with us about what y'all's experience had been like with Forrest. Um, still in the back of my mind going, man, I appreciate them sharing, but that's not ever going to be us. Mm-hmm. Gosh, they're so, they're so strong to share their story with us. And I appreciate it, but I don't know why they think we need to talk about this. Mm-hmm. Um, palliative care working with us and what a gift that was for them to work with us. And I can remember both of y'all kind of encouraging us, okay, I know nobody wants to do it, but you've got to sit down and have these conversations. And I can remember us going over to the FedEx house going, I know they think we need to, but we don't. But, mm-hmm. and um, I can remember us, we had to get out of the environment to do it. I can remember us going to get sushi and, just going, okay, well, if they insist, we will. But really thinking we would never have to do that. Um, I very vividly remember y'all talking about what it looked like for now. I mean, for Forrest to be resuscitated. Mm-hmm. In my mind and in Bill's mind, it was just like an adult would be resuscitated. That's what we thought before y'all explained to us what it was like for a child. So, yes, if I dropped right now and mm-hmm. needed to resuscitate, and I would want you to resuscitate me. But after y'all explained Forrest and some of the precious nurses explained to us what that would look like for Niall, um, we ultimately came to that decision that we didn't want that for her. So we had to have those conversations about, okay, we don't think it's coming, but if they want us to, we're going to figure out again what we want the end of her life to look like. Um, And to explain that, the hospital makes you decide on a thing mm -hmm. called DNR. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, if you, a DNR is a do not resuscitate, and there can be where you can do some life-saving measures, you just don't do all, or you can say, I want all done. This is also done for adults as well, but it is a little bit different. But that's partly of why those conversations often, and sometimes, I mean, we got it brought up at one point where very like you, we actually, Forrest was actually doing really well, one of the best he was doing, and the doctor took David and I aside and was like, I think we need to have these hard conversations. And we were like, what? Like he's doing great. Mm-hmm. What are you talking about? But then when we had to have those hard conversations and he was doing very poorly, it was, 
really hard. Um, and so that was one of the reasons Dave and I did say, we feel like y'all need to be thinking about this stuff. We hope it doesn't ever get to that, but make them when you can hopefully have more of a clear mind, less filled with the grief and the anguish. But the hospital really wants you to kind of, just so the hospital can know, what is it? And I appreciate that about Labonda and Children's Hospitals. They really want the parents' wishes of, we will do whatever you tell us to do. Um, and so that's where y'all really had to kind of make these hard choices. Mm-hmm. We, were so, we were so incredibly grateful for y'all sharing your story with us but why we needed to do that because like you said when you're in the middle of that stressful moment you're not thinking clearly and naturally you want to go yes do whatever it takes to save my baby I'm not ready to let him go yeah um but after we made those hard decisions when she was stable and when we were thinking clearly when it did come time where we had to make that decision, we didn't go back and second guess ourselves because we knew we had thought about everything and every possibility when we were thinking clearly. Yeah. So yes, there's the DNR mm-hmm. and then the DNI. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. For us, we chose. Um, we did not want chest compressions and all that mm-hmm. um, because they explained. For us in our situation, what that would look like mm-hmm. with Nywell, we did not want that for her. She had a strong heart. She'd always had a strong heart. Mm-hmm. Um, so we didn't want them doing chest compressions because we knew if her heart stopped beating, then it was ultimately her time. The D&I, we were, we were a little bit more hesitant on because mm-hmm. we had that stay we were talking about in November. She was intubated. She was intubated in the nick you for an extended period Mm -hmm. she would come off yes it was a little struggle but we would get over it Mm -hmm. so we weren't quite quite ready to do Mm -hmm. the dni which means do not intubate Mm -hmm. yeah so we were okay with them yeah intubating but not Mm -hmm. chest compressions so that long stay uh when she was four i think it was three months um it was very much a roller coaster Mm -hmm. uh all kinds of emotions, but we made those hard choices. Uh, I can remember asking you, and I've shared this with other parents, who are just so naive to what the end of life looked like for a child. And I can remember asking, okay, well, if she passes now, do we wait with the body until the mm-hmm. funeral home comes, or do we take the body? I didn't. Even, we didn't even know. Mm-hmm. Um, just simple little things like that. And y'all were so open with us about all of that and let us ask y'all the hard questions that mm-hmm. nobody should ever have to ask. Mm-hmm. Y'all are so open with us about where you buried Forrest and mm-hmm. your thoughts on that mm-hmm. and how you would do it differently. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that allowed us to make all of those kinds of decisions um, beforehand. Mm-hmm. Um, that stay was... We did think we would lose her. My my grandmother, who I was closest to, was um, in the hospital at the same time. And I can remember them telling me she was about to die if I wanted to see her. I need to go see her. And so 
I remember the attendings coming in and saying, you can leave, but she may not be alive when you get back. Wow. And so me making that two-hour trip south to see my grandmother, to say my goodbyes to her, um, and I don't know if I was going to be there, but I knew for my mental health going forward, I had to say goodbye to my grandmother. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So just like I'm sure you did, mm-hmm. said all of my goodbyes and everything I wanted to say, left the picky that day, went, spent time with my grandmother, then came back. Now I was still there. Yeah. We were blessed. We had her another 13, 14 months after yeah. that stay. Yeah. Yeah. So goes, y'all kind of during that up and down, have another stay, come back, you know, go back home. And then, and then the, the final stay, she comes in, y'all really kind of think overall she's doing okay. May even get to come home at Thanksgiving. Mm -hmm. And then she just really showed y'all she was, she was ready. Mm -hmm. She was ready to go and passed away on November 21st. Mm -hmm. Um, Okay, so it'll be nine years, and tell me, lead me through, how are y'all doing today? Tell me, we haven't talked much about mm-hmm. your other daughter, so tell us just kind of how are y'all doing today? Um, we are doing great today. Uh, there, I'm not going to say everything's perfect because mm-hmm. grief is very much a journey, mm-hmm. still is, um, but two years after Niall passed away, we were blessed with a beautiful, healthy little girl um, who we adopted. Mm-hmm. And we are now, she's seven, we are experiencing what life is like with a healthy child. Mm-hmm. It's so funny because both of us, our natural tendency is, you know, if she has a cough, we grab the pulse ox <laughs> and check, check her oxygen. Uh-huh. We check her temperature all the time. You know, uh, the first time she bumped her head, we had um, two picky nurses, a neonatologist, and palliative care on the phone wanting to know if we were doing everything right Amazing. because her head was bleeding. <laughs> <laughs> so that, uh-huh. the life of a special needs child yeah. is normal to us. That's yeah. normal. A healthy kid is not normal to right. us. So. Yeah, we're probably those helicopter parents uh, and everything, uh, but but because of everything that Niall taught us about, I can I was thinking about how much Niall loved the wind when the wind blew, mm-hmm. just the tiny things. Mm-hmm. It's totally different parenting, Manel, yeah. our little one, because we just the small things matter. Yeah, that's so beautiful. The, the things that people get caught up in in parenting don't matter to us. And Manel knows about now, knows about her life. She knows she has a sister. Mm-hmm. That's really beautiful. She, uh, yes, she she tells everybody, yes, I do have a sibling. She mm-hmm. is in heaven. Her mm-hmm. name is Niall. That's so um, sweet. Yeah, we, Bill and I, Bill, Manel and I, we all, we talk about Niall every day at our house. Mm-hmm. Um, we, she was little, and I can remember you and I talking about some of the struggles that your kids had with being scared of the hospital stays mm-hmm. and thinking that Will Forrest passed away when he went to Labonner. Mm-hmm. We've had, we've covered those things with Manel that Niall was born with this. Um, but just everything Niall taught us about special needs, we've tried to relay that to Manel. And mm-hmm. so she has a, 
very sensitive and special heart when it comes to kids that are different, mm. whether it's um, wheelchair, nonverbal, or mm-hmm. seizure disorder, or autism, or whatever. She really has a curiosity about that because that's how she relates to mm-hmm. her sister. Yeah, it's beautiful. Um, that's beautiful. And that's going to be amazing moving forward to see what she does with that and, you know, how that affects mm-hmm. her just even in the decisions she makes moving forward. Well, yeah. from Dave and I personally and from the Forcements Fund, your family had a huge impact on us. You had a new, huge impact on even some of the things that we do. You know, there's there's obviously a lot of things from the fund that were born out of our own experience, but then experiences like y'all's, you know, even thinking about the comfort cart that, you know, when y'all would see that she was sick and you would jump in the car and maybe your bags weren't packed, you know, you would end up at Labana with nothing. And mm-hmm. so, you know, that having that comfort cart where, you know, families can call down and say, do you have shampoo? Do you have conditioner? Do you have toothbrush, toothpaste? Do you have body wash? Do you have flip-flops? Do you have razors? Having that available, especially for these families that are two hours away, uh, you had amazing family support. And then really even, um, I know you had cousins and family here in Memphis too. So you had people who who could and would love you so well, um, where we know not all families have that. But y'all's impact had a huge impact on us too. I mean, even thinking the other day with that music therapist about the music and how much joy that brought now, thinking of that's something we can provide as speakers, Bluetooth speakers, so more families can play music through their phones or iPads for families. We'll do it because we know the impact it had on now. Um, And so y'all really have made such an impact on the fund and who we are. And, um, you know, cause Forrest was so tiny and, you know, he wasn't, we didn't go back and forth and, um, you know, we didn't have numerous hospital stays. It was just a different experience. Obviously, um, no experiences like the others. And that's what we always try to say. I, I will never try to say, I know exactly what you're feeling, or I know what you went through, or this is what happened to us, so it will happen to you, because it's not. It's your story. It's my story. Um, Unfortunately, we were brought together because of those two hard stories, Um, but her life and y'all's lives have made a huge impact on many, many, many people, and especially truly in my life and the fund's life, so thank you for sharing her. Thank you for sharing her when she was alive, and thank you for sharing, continuing to share her life. We love y'all. Thank you. That Thank you. that is very humbling to think we had that impact. You did, and that she had that impact. So she definitely you. did. She definitely did. Thank you for thank both of you for loving us because we would not, we wouldn't be where we are without y'all and what y'all gave to us that and what the fund gave to us. Well, it was a joy. I really mean it. Thank, thank you, you for being on, and um, we'll talk to you soon. Okay. Thanks. Thank you for listening to our latest episode. We hope that this podcast is a resource for you and a source of support. Whether you are facing illness in your own family or want to walk beside other families dealing with childhood illness, we want the stories, wisdom, and knowledge shared to give you hope. Episodes will be released bi-weekly, so be sure to subscribe today.